Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. I hope you've learned some things as we've tried to drop into some of the characters of faith in Hebrews 11 to try to learn the principles of their life. Now what you find as we're gonna talk about this morning is these were just ordinary people. These were not perfect people. Uh, God doesn't just pick out perfect people to use as we're gonna talk about this morning. God will use anyone that'll make themselves available. If you'll get usable, God will use you. You're not disqualified. You know why I know? Because you are here. And the way I know you will not be available to be used anymore is you will no longer be here. Uh, We will experience something called death. And until that happens, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. I believe seriously what he said in Ecclesiastes 3.1, to everything there is a season, there is a time to every purpose under heaven. Life is seasonal. And in the seasons of life, God gives us time to fulfill purpose. And as long as God has a purpose for Bill Ramsey, I'll be here, I'll be here, he'll give me time. And the minute my purpose is over, I'll step from the temporal into the eternal, absent from my body to be present with the Lord, and I'll be waiting on you on the other side. But until then, you gotta put up with me, right? Because God has a purpose and a plan for me as he does for you as well. And when you read Hebrews 11 as it's recounting these characters of the Old Testament, some of them, let's be honest, some of them are good examples of good examples. There are really some great examples in there. And some of them are good examples of bad examples. And I think if you think about your life, certainly as I think about mine, I think I qualify many times on both counts. In fact, when the Apostle Paul was writing about life, listen to these words, 1 Corinthians 4, 9. We have been made a spectacle unto the world, both to angels and to other men. Think about what he said. We have been made a spectacle. You and I have been made a spectacle. Now, what does the word spectacle mean? In the Greek, the word is theatron. We get our word theater from that. Here was what Paul was saying. He, he was saying, you and I are living our lives on a stage. This life is a stage. And we're living our life uh, in front of unseen angels and seen men. There are other people that are watching how I live my life, how you live your life. Sometimes what I do will speak far louder than anything that I ever say. And so people are watching our life. Everybody in the room has influence. I don't care uh, what your position is, what your profession is, you have influence. God can use you specifically, individually, and uniquely. He uses your influence. It may be on the child that's in your home. I mean, the greatest responsibility you and I have is to our children and our grandchildren. That's our number one priority. And we influence them more than anyone else. And the idea of influence, really, when you do an etymology of the word, it is an idea of smaller tributaries that are flowing into a larger river. And in that process, there is a current that is created. It is the inflow of the tributaries that create the current in the river. So inflow is influence. Your life and mine create a current. There's somebody this morning who gets caught up in the current that is your life. (laughs) You're moving someone in a direction. 
We're either helping them move closer to God or we may be pushing them farther away from God, but we all have influence. And here's the takeaway from the message this morning. God will use anyone. And when you look into the word at the people he uses, there are some incredible things that we see. Notice Hebrews 11, look down at verse 32. Notice what he said. What more shall I say? I mean, that's whatever pastor says as he's closing his message, right? Well, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> I'm at the conclusion. He's closing out his sermon. Uh, I don't have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and all the prophets. Notice what they did. Through faith, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions. Remember Daniel, remember Samson with the lion. Uh, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength. David faced Goliath, just a boy, and yet he did courageous things, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Remember the Shunammite widow, and you remember the widow in 2 Kings 17, where Elisha prayed over the boy, and he regains his life, and the mother reclaims his son. So the writer here is saying, remember these stories, all of these stories you've heard all of your life, these incredible examples of amazing things that happened throughout the Old Testament, how God used these people to do so many amazing things. And then notice how he shifts now, verse 35, he says, but others, but others. These others now were tortured. They refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned to death, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins and destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of these martyrs. They wandered in deserts and mountains and the caves and holes in the ground. These, listen, were all, all together were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what was promised. Let me stop long enough to say, there's two groups he's talking about here. There's the first group that have these sensational, incredible, supernatural things that happen, and then he shifts with the word others. Your translation may have it, and others, or but others. And then he talks about people who endured trial and suffering and martyrdom. Now here's two groups, think about it very distinctly in this chapter. One group had faith to escape. They escaped these trials and they escaped this danger and they escaped the terrible things that happened. The other group didn't escape any of it. Instead, they endured. They were sawn in two. They were stoned to death. They were burned to death. They had a martyr's death. One had faith to escape and the others had faith to endure. And part of what I'm gonna to talk to you about this morning is that strange dichotomy that happens in our life where sometimes God answers your prayer in the affirmative and sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes God delivers you from certain trials in life and sometimes he allows you to go through those trials in life. And what's illustrated by the people of Hebrews 11 is these people were all men and women of faith. They were men and women that God used in an incredible way, whether he allowed them to escape or whether he gave them the courage to endure. So when you go through a hard time, never think your faith has failed. I, I talk to people a lot, that, well, I just don't know, man. I, I just, I prayed about this and I haven't gotten the answer and this has been so hard and difficult. Nothing in my life seems to have changed. I'm praying and praying, I'm praying. You know, last week Mary talked about the idea. Sometimes God says yes, sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says wait. 
Ellie sang about it in the moment ago. Uh, he's in the waiting. God is in the waiting. He may not be telling you no. He just may be saying not now. And so what I'm suggesting to your heart is you can't read Hebrews 11 and this narrative that I've just read and not see that some people had the faith to escape and other people had the faith to endure. But all of them, notice what he says again, all of them, verse 39, were commended for that faith, but none of them received what was promised. What was promised? The coming of the Messiah. That's the thing they all were looking for from the time of Adam all the way up to Malachi, all of them looked forward to the fact that the Messiah was coming. And the Bible says those Old Testament saints died in faith, not receiving the promise. I've told you before, when you understand how people come to faith in Christ, people in the Old Testament came to faith in Christ by believing one day Jesus Christ would come, the Messiah would come. People in the New Testament, all the way up to you and I today, are saved by faith looking back, believing one day Jesus did come. I didn't see Jesus come any more than any of these Old Testament saints saw him come. They died in faith believing that he would come, and one day if he tarries his coming, I'll die in faith believing that he did come. So they died in faith not receiving the promise. Note now, God had something better planned for us that only together with them would they then be made perfect. God said, I've got a place called heaven where salvation will be complete and we'll be in his presence and the presence of those that have gone before forevermore. And when I read the narrative and I thought about all of these characters that we've been talking about and how God used them in unique ways, what I wanted you to take away from our talk this morning is the fact that God is willing to use anyone. And there are four things from these characters that you see that are necessary for God uh, to use you. Number one, the first thing you see is they, there should be a why there, I don't know, they were common. I'm talking about your note page. They were common. These were common people. They were common. Uh, they were just ordinary people. In fact, listen to what scripture says, 1 Corinthians 1, 26, not many wise according to the flesh. He didn't say any, he just said not many. Not many mighty not many noble are called. So Paul is saying there, there, there aren't a lot who are considered wise or noble or mighty, powerful people. He didn't say there aren't any, he just said there aren't many. What was the point Paul was underscoring? Same point I'm making this morning and that is God calls common people. Sometimes people talk themselves out of being used by God. God can't use me, God won't use me. I'm not gifted enough, I'm not talented enough, I don't have the ability. That was Moses' go-to. Man, when you read the, you read the first of Exodus where God tells Moses, you're, you're the man, you're gonna lead my people out of Egypt. Moses says, oh no, man, I don't speak well. I, I, you know, I, I, I get my tongue over my eye tooth, I can't see what I'm saying. I, I'm not good at talking, I can't do that. And I, I, I just, that's not who I am. And God said, no, you can do it. In fact, when you read Exodus four, you know what God said to him? He said, what's in your hand? Moses said of a staff. God said, throw it down. Remember the story? He throws it down and becomes a snake. The Bible has a lot of humor in it because God told him, pick it up. <laughs> pick that snake up. Can you imagine? I don't know about you. I've got a healthy fear of snakes. But if God ever told me, throw a stick down, it became a snake. And he said, pick it up. I'd, me and him would have to talk a little more about that one. But he said, pick it up, and he did. And you remember the story, became a staff again. What, what was the point of the story? What God was saying to Moses is, you've got everything you need, you've got it in your hand. 
Can I tell you something? You, you, you never have, oh, if I just had the talent of this person. If I just had that intellectual firepower of that person. If I just had the opportunities that they had growing up, if I'd had the family that they had growing up, if, 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 and we talk ourselves out of being used of God, when the response to Moses was, what's in your hand? Another beautiful way of understanding it is what Jesus illustrated in Matthew 25. Remember the parable of the talents? where he gave different abilities to three different guys and what he did when he held them account, he held them account, listen, for what they did with what they had. God will never call you into account for what you did with what you did not have. He's not gonna call you into account for that. He won't call me into account for that. Romans 14, 12 says, so then every one of us one day will give an account of ourselves to God. One day I'll stand before God as his child to give an account for what I did with what I had. How'd you handle your family? What kind of father, what kind of husband? How, uh, what, what kind of grandfather? Uh, how did you handle the people you were called to serve? How did you handle the resources that I, were, that I gave you? How did you handle the opportunities that came your way? What did you do with what you had? That's what will be held to account. And it's not so that it'll determine whether we go to heaven or hell, that's decided while we're here. That'll determine what level of reward I received to lay at his feet one day. And my suggesting to you is that God will not give you or will not call you into account for something he hasn't given you. So we're just responsible for what we have. So don't worry about the thing you can't do. Don't focus on strengthening your weakness, focus on strengthening your strength. <laughs> do better what you do best. Do better what you do best. You do something really well, focus on that. Don't focus on the thing you don't know how to do necessarily and try to you know, spend all your time preoccupied about an area that you're not good at. Instead, focus your energy on the things that you do well and excel in those things. Do better than the average in those things. And the point is you do something, you do something well. When the, when the psalmist wrote the 133rd Psalm, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Meaning from the moment of conception, when God put us together, he gifted you, he's created you, he's given you talent and ability. No one has your DNA, nobody has your fingerprint. There's no one that can do, well, they have your DNA, they don't have your fingerprint. They, they, there's no one that can do exactly what you do the way you do it. You're unique. And so I'm suggesting to your heart this morning that the reason that many of us are not used to a greater capacity is we haven't made ourselves available. So you just show up. Remember in uh, Isaiah 6, when Isaiah saw that great vision and Isaiah said, you know, uh, uh, who, where the Lord says to Isaiah, who will I send and who will go for me? And Isaiah made this comment. He goes, here am I, Lord, send me. It's like the kid on the sideline when one of the players are injured and the boy makes himself available. Coach, put me in, let me go in. I'm ready, I'm ready to play, I can do this. And the coach just grabs you because you're available and puts you in the game. Well, that's a lot of how God uses us. You make yourself available. I, I just want to be that person. I talked to you a couple of weeks ago about discovering God's unique plan for your life and discovering his will for your life. And that principle we talked about in John 7, 17, you remember where Jesus said, if anyone has a desire to know my will, they will then know my will. And I gave you the paraphrase, if you will to know his will, you will know his will. <laughs> he won't hide the ball. If you have a desire to know your purpose and plan for God, or God's purpose and plan in life, you can know what he wants you to do. You gotta engage somewhere. God uses busy people. 
So, and he uses common people. So number one, they were common. Do you have that? Number two, they were courageous. One of the things these guys had in common was they were courageous. Look at 33 and 34. They conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fiery flames, a fury of the flame, escaped the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. It says they were, they were powerful in battle and they routed foreign enemies. These guys were courageous. Isaiah 54 is a great promise in that verse of 17, I believe, where Isaiah says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. What he didn't say is there wouldn't be weapons formed against you. They will be, there'll be opposition. You're going to face oppression. There's going to be things that are going to be directed toward you. Here's my theory, here's my theory, and it's free like the rest of it. My theory is this, I think the closer you get uh, to really discovering God's unique plan for your life, and the closer you get to really making a difference uh, for God in your life, the more oppression and the more opposition the enemy is gonna throw at you, because you're a threat. As you move into God's purpose and plan for your life, and you, he, the enemy knows God is gonna use you uniquely and significantly in some way or another, the devil's gonna do everything in his power to knock you off your game. Take you off the field, not just put you on the sideline, put you in the stands, and maybe worse than that, put you in your car and send you home. <laughs> he didn't want you in the game. So my suggestion to your heart this morning is if you're gonna achieve something and be used of God, not only have to realize he uses common people, but he uses courageous people. He said not many weapons formed against you. Now get this, we'll prosper. He said they'll be formed against you, but they're not going to prosper. So don't be afraid. Understand when the opposition hits your life. Understand when the oppression hits your life. This just goes with the turf. Here's one of the things I would caution you about, about fear. Fearing the future, fearing, you know, the season of life you're in. I would caution you about it because, here, here get this. Fear is infectious. Fear is infectious. Other people fear when you fear. Um, when, you, when you read 2 Timothy 1.7, it says fear, uh, fear is a spirit. And it's not a spirit that comes from God. It is a demonic spirit. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. So he's saying when that evil spirit begins to permeate your mind and your spirit, it affects, not only affects you, it affects the people around you. Fear is infectious. <laughs> yeah, you know, we were on a, a flight one time going over to Grand Junction. Bill and I were, were heading up uh, to meet with some of our friends up there. And so, um, with the Hoopers, and so we were doing a little fishing trip and so uh, we, came over the Grand Mesa and you come into the valley if you've ever flown over there. And we were on, back then they just had shuttles from Denver over to Grand Junction. Now American has a direct flight in and out. You don't care about that, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> and we were going on that little puddle jumper and we came over the Mesa and man, we hit some storm, some headwinds that was coming out of Utah. And man, it was brutal. That little plane jumped and Boy, it was, I mean, it was really, it was really a pretty incredible ride. And I'm hearing, of course, the, the doors open into the cockpit and I'm seeing this red light and this buzzer going and we had pilots in the church, but I'm assuming that was probably a stall warning. I don't know. That's not good always. And so they tried this little serpentine approach to get, you know, to get by the headwinds, to get us, you know, into the airport. So we're flying this way. And, and two thoughts struck me. Number one, 
I, I didn't have peace, so I knew it wasn't my time. That was first thought, because I know God has promised me dying grace. And by the way, if I ever get it, I think it'll scare me to death, but that's a, another thing I'm working out. But I didn't have that yet. I wasn't at peace because Paul said, I'm sorry, David said in Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what no evil? Fear. I was scared a little bit. So I thought, okay, it's not my time. I'm scared. So that was point one. Point two, I looked at the pilots. They weren't scared. I caught one of them looking at the other at one point. Honest to God, the guys were smiling at each other. I'm going, are you kidding me? I mean, it's just goom, ba boom, goom, ba boom. So we finally, we landed and I stuck my head in the cockpit. I said, hey guys, great job. Man, that's really good. Good, good job, you guys. And they looked at each other and said, yeah, it was actually kind of fun. <laughs> fun? <laughs> I don't know, I don't try to understand that. But the point I'm making is fear is infectious. If, if somebody, if the pilot would have said, oh my gosh, we're going down, if you pray, you better pray. Oh, now, hello, we'd had a revival on that plane. But he exerted such calmness. The, the attendant was so calm during all that. Uh, everybody, make sure your buckles, everything's good, going fine. You know, we're, we're gonna go down happy and peaceful. So, uh, but here's the principle, Deuteronomy 20, verse eight. Here's what God said. He said, if there is a man among you who is fearful and faint-hearted, let him go home. Return to his house or his brothers will see his fear and it will infect them as well. Did you get that? God said in Deuteronomy 20, verse eight, before we go into battle, if you got some who's not sold on the cause and they're afraid, send them home. Because <laughs> their fear is infectious. And can I tell you, just as fear is infectious, so is courage. People draw strength from your courage. Look, it's not going to be the victories that you uh, go through in life where your kids and your friends will learn the most about you, it's gonna be some of the setbacks and the defeats that you go through in life. They're gonna see how you handle the struggle. They want anybody can handle it when the money's good and the career's going great and everything, anybody, it doesn't take any faith to handle, but man, when there's more month than money and the relationships is, is difficult and, and all that's going against you, holy cow, when the faith is tested, that's when your influence shines the brightest. So you need to be courageous. Number three, not only were they common, not only were they courageous, number three, they were committed. These men and women in Hebrews 11 were absolutely committed. You know what adversity will do? Adversity will reveal your level of commitment. The, the, how strong you, your, your strength is seen in what it takes to stop you. We've talked about the fact that you do not know, you do not and will not know how strong your faith is, so your faith gets tested. And if your faith is gonna grow, it's gonna have to be tested. If you've ever done any resistance training, you know that when the weight comes down to, to get that resistance training, the weight has to go back up. And it's in the struggle of, uh, of the resistance against the weight that you're dealing is the muscle broken down and the muscle is then strengthened. Every day there's a pressure coming on you. There's difficulties and challenges and, and trials you're gonna face in life that are unique and your strength is in the struggle. You remember the butterfly, the, 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 before the butterfly emerges from the cocoon, it has to fight its way out. And they tell us if you try to assist the butterfly in breaking out of the cocoon, you'll kill the butterfly because the strength the butterfly needs to live its life is in the struggle that it has in freeing itself from the cocoon. Some of you in a struggle this morning, and whether you realize it or not, 
your strength is in your struggle. God is using your strength, using your struggle now to, to strengthen you for something ahead of you. So these people were absolutely committed. Remember when you were growing up, some of you, remember the Timex commercials, the watch, the Timex? You remember what those were? You remember the commercial? It says the Timex can take a licking and keep on ticking. Thank you for that. 9.30 left me hanging a little bit on that one. It takes a licking and keeps on ticking. And I think that happens sometimes with Christians, man. You, you, you just take the licking and you just keep on ticking. You just do your best to get through what you're going through and God finds a way to strengthen you. Let me give you this. Matthew 11, you've got John the Baptist. Remember what John the Baptist's role was? He told us. He said, I'm the forerunner of Christ. I am to prepare the way for the coming of Messiah. Um, so John's job was to get people gathered so that he could hand off these people to Jesus. And so John was preaching. He looked like one of these Old Testament prophets and people came out to see John and hear him. He was preaching repentance. One day he's on the banks of the Jordan and he looks up and he sees Jesus. And in that moment he says, behold, there he is, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus steps from anonymity onto the stage of life and everything changes. And John, at that moment, he said, I have to now decrease while Jesus increases. And so the crowds leave John and they're following Jesus. But John's like any of us. He had a little bit of an ego. Now he's preaching to an empty room. Everybody's going to see Jesus. <laughs> now he's just got, you know, now he's just got a handful of people out there. And when he does that, he is vulnerable because he had upset the religious order of the day. They were complaining to the military might of the day. Something has to be done with John. He's emptying our synagogues. You've got to arrest him. He's, he's preaching blasphemy. He's talking about some Messiah that's coming and all. So they finally realized, well, he doesn't have a lot of people around him, so he isn't going to create a big you know, um, disturbance. We'll just arrest him. And so Rome arrests John, put him in prison. Matthew 11, here's the point. For the first time in, John, in John's life, his faith is tested right? You remember what he says to his followers? Go ask Jesus, are you the Messiah or do I, not, do I start looking for somebody else? Now, hold on. John knew he was the Messiah. Come on, John. You know, sometimes when you're discouraged, you say things you don't really mean. You ever done that? Uh, so he's saying stuff he really doesn't mean. He knows Jesus was the Messiah. He calls him out on the banks of the Jordan. He has his whole ministry was getting a group ready for Jesus. He said, I'm the forerunner. I must in decrease, he increases. And when he's arrested, he wasn't counting on that. He wasn't planning on that level of adversity hitting his life. And so Jesus, when he hears John's complaint, he says, go back and tell John, tell him the things you've seen me do. If he's doubting me, telling him about blinded eyes that have been made to see, telling about the people that have died that I've brought to life again, telling about lame legs that can walk again, and tell John that he'll be happier if he doesn't keep getting offended by me. Now let me give you the Ramsey paraphrase. Go back and tell John that I've got the power to allow him to go into prison, I've got the power to bring him out of prison, and if he wants to be happy, he needs to quit getting hacked off every time I do something he doesn't like. Very loosely translated. <laughs> but that's not bad theology. Trusting God, committed to him when he does things we don't like, when he does things we don't agree with. And that's gonna happen. God seldom asks your opinion. He's never asked mine. 
And when James was writing about this, he said, let me tell you what adversity will do. James 1, 4, it is the trying of your faith that will produce patience. Another word, endurance. Another word, perseverance. Now we're back to Hebrews 11. You've got one group, God allowed them by faith to escape. You had another group, he had them endure. Do you know what perseverance is in endurance and patience? It is the ability to endure under the pressures or the burdens that you're carrying. I've told you before, God will inevitably do one of two things when you pray about a burden. He will remove it, and he can, and you pray that he will, or he'll give you the strength to carry it. Some escaped, some endured. You guys know my personal story, my family, with Cindy's illness and the journey we were on with all of that. I mean, I know God was able. We never gave our, we never lost hope in the idea that he would touch and heal her body. I believed he could, I prayed that he would, and we never gave up on that prospect, ever. And yet, I didn't get the answer. My kids and all of our family, many of them here this morning, we didn't get the answer we prayed for. Does it mean our faith failed? No. Does it mean God didn't love us? No. It means God didn't give us the faith. We didn't have the faith to escape. He gave us the faith to endure. It was like what Paul learned in 1 Corinthians 12 when he begged God to remove this thorn. And God just said, Paul, no. I'm gonna give you the grace that you need. Now guys, I'm telling you, that's a mystery. That doesn't make sense. I mean, I've, I've been mad. I, I, I've said things probably weren't real sanctified going through that time. I'm not afraid to admit that or shame. Just trying to be honest. I thought, did I miss it somewhere? Did I miss God somewhere? You had those feelings, this isn't right. It isn't right for my kids or my grandkids, you know. You still have those moments. You go to the game, you see the kids, and, and she's not there, and you, you feel bad for them, you feel bad for yourself, and you have to remind yourself of where she is and the fact she's getting to look in and see all that. What's my point? My point is God didn't give me in that case the faith. I didn't have the faith, and God didn't respond to that faith to let me escape. He gave me faith to endure. And so now I hope I'm a good example of a good example that can stand up in front of you and tell you guys when God says no, it's because he has something better in mind. It may not mean this side of heaven we ever figure that out. I, I've told you before, I, I think some things you don't make sense of it till you get in his presence. I'll tell you about my aha moment, remember that? My aha moment would be the day when my brain is sanctified and I have the mind of Christ and I step in his presence. Instead of asking him all the questions, I'll just go, oh, okay. I get it. Now I know. Until then, guys, you gotta, you gotta stay committed. Well, here's what I determined. When I came back and just said, man, I'm gonna finish what God's called me to do in this place, I just made a determination I'm not gonna quit. I will not give up. I will not give in. I will not give out. I'm gonna stay with it, doing the thing God calls me to do until he calls me home. And that's all, you can, that's all any of you can do in your unique situations, in your stages and seasons of life is just stay committed and say God is greater than all of this. God is faithful. He will not fail because he cannot fail. And God uses people who are committed. Here's the last thought. They were confident. 
they were confident, absolutely, completely confident they were going to have a better resurrection, verse 35. And when you back it up and you read Hebrews 10, here's what he said. Don't cast away your confidence. Man, don't throw that away. <laughs> that hope you have in God, don't lose that. Hang on to that. Don't give up on your confidence. It has great reward because he says you have need of endurance. You have to be able to withstand this so that after you've done the will of God, you will, you will, he said, receive the promise. Let me close with this. I've shared this with some of our core guys before, but it kind of fit right here. I had a man in my former church that we started the Met out of. Um, he owned several big semi-rigs, and part of what he would do is he would lease these trailers out to different uh, companies to haul different material. And at certain times of the year, they would haul corn to Kansas during the harvest time. And so they would run the trucks overnight because there was less traffic on the roads, but it's a little more hazardous because you get up in some of those sections of the roadway and there could be uh, icy conditions in that time of the year. He said he was driving on one of those roadways and he said, man, I had that big semi and I'm driving along. And he said, it's the middle of the night. And he said, all of a sudden I hit black ice. I mean, just boom, there it was. He said, my trailer broke loose. And he said, my trailer started swinging around. I saw it in my rear view mirror and I thought, wow, if I wreck and jackknife this truck, I probably am not gonna survive this. He said, I prayed and he said, the peace God gave me was this, hey, it's gonna be okay. Keep your eyes on where you're going. Keep the pedal to the middle <laughs> and quit watching that trailer. And he said, I would look and glance at the trailer. I kept the power to that engine. I stayed in my lane praying that I wouldn't run into any other traffic. And he said, you know what happened? That big old trailer swung back around behind the truck. He didn't know that, but in that moment, he was gonna give me an illustration that I could use. You know how many times in life we've been tooling down the road and all of a sudden the trailer of your life breaks loose and you feel like I'm gonna lose everything, this is the end. Can I tell you when you have those moments, keep your eyes on where you're going, keep the pedal to the metal, you just keep doing what you know to do and let me tell you something, God is faithful. That trailer is gonna pull back around, you're gonna be okay. Don't give up, don't give in, <laughs> don't give out. He who has called you will finish the work that he started. You can have that confidence today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Isaiah said it never returns void. It always achieves the purpose for which it was sent. So Father, I pray this morning for all my friends, different seasons and stages of life who have heard your word and maybe have applied it in different ways. I pray, Father, your word will resonate, that we won't just be a hearer of your word, as James said, but we will be a doer. We'll put it to practice. We'll walk out of this room better equipped, and I pray better inspired to be a better example. Bless every business represented in this room. Bless every family. Lift, Father, the burdens that these people carry. Bless those who are watching online. And Lord, if there's one who've never received you as Savior, I pray this would be the moment right where they are, where they humble their heart and just simply pray and say, Lord Jesus, with all that I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart. Forgive my sin. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, 
please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.